Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch rushing. Deep left field. This is way back. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. A lot has changed since our position previews. Let's break it all down. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, March 23rd. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. And today on the pod, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to get you updated thoughts, strategy, and our favorite players to draft at each position, so much has changed. Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers, Chris Bryant to the Rockies, Fernando Tatis is out like three months, so we'll break it all down. Uh, plus, we've got the latest news and spring training standouts, which brings us to this guy. You might have heard of this guy. Jacob deGrom. I think I'm saying that name right. Jacob, Jacob deGrom. Did you see what he did on Tuesday? The, the guy was pretty good. Uh, he went two scoreless. Five strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 30 pitches. The fastball velocity down about a mile and a half, but did not look like it mattered one bit. Scott, do we react to this? Or were we just expecting DeGrom to look this good? I didn't know what to expect from DeGrom, to be honest with you. He didn't pitch for the last... He didn't pitch at all in the second half, right, of last year. And there was talk of him having a UCL tear at some point that has supposedly gone away. And and I was very worried about what that meant for him. Obviously, he looked like DeGrom today. You've mentioned the velocity was down a little bit from last year. A, it's his first start of spring training. B, last year was the hardest he's ever thrown before. C, I'm not sure if he needs to throw as hard as last year. Like, I'm not sure that's good for him. So, like, I I don't see anything here to be discouraged by for Jacob deGrom. I was reading also about how he was lifting heavier weights this offseason, hoping to put on more muscles so he's not relying so much on the ligament to, uh, to sustain him deep into starts. And I don't know. I kind of had, I kind of had a little regret seeing how this start went that I didn't invest in him a little more, especially in those drafts when he lasted till late in the second round. It, it, it could go very well for him. He could still get hurt at some point, of course. That's a possibility for any pitcher, maybe slightly elevated for him. But he has plenty of 200-inning seasons on his resume as well. You know, Chris has made this point, and I saw him tweeting about it again on Tuesday, and I think it's a strong one, too. Really, seeing what he does now... While it's good, especially when he looks this great, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because we knew that he was healthy. He said he was healthy. It's just now, can he stay healthy? And we won't really know that uh, until we get into the season, Scott. You know, a month or yeah. two in. You know, all right, if we get to June and Degrom is doing Degrom things and he looks healthy and velocity's fine, then then yeah, we might have you know buyer's remorse at that point. But I I, I, I mean, just don't I, know I how much the we. Idea. I dispute the idea that we knew he was healthy. We hadn't seen him p- pitch since he got hurt. And since then, we learned he had a torn UCL at some point. So, 
I, I do think what he does in spring training matters, but yes, I, I mean, ultimately that doesn't, if he does have an amazing spring, that doesn't mean he's not going to get hurt during the season. That's still very much a possibility, but I do think it is, it is a box. And I'm not even willing to say I'm checking off that box after this first start, but there is an initial box that has to be checked first. And he at least, he at least got that first little down motion on the check mark for me with his performance here on Tuesday. All right. I wanted to bring up some ADP over the past week or so. Something I'll reference throughout the course of this podcast. And Scott, I know typically you don't like NFBC ADP as much, but I like using it because you can you can sort it by yeah. timeline, right? So you can sort it by sure. a date range. And uh, Jacob deGrom, the first two weeks of March, his ADP was 25. Over the past week, it's up to 18.2. So we're already starting to see, you know, in the high stakes arena, Jacob deGrom is climbing. Have you thought about moving him up your rankings at all as well? Because you and I both have him as our SP6 overall, I believe, you know, inside the top, at least 24 players, might be inside the top 20 as well. Uh, with a start like this, do you feel tempted to move him up even further? I currently have him between Brandon Woodruff and Shane Bieber. And I'm inclined to keep him there. So he's he's how high among pitchers in NFBC recently, did you say? Uh, let's see, the past week... The ADP is 18. He is the third starting pitcher off the board behind Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns. Yeah. So it's worth reiterating. And FBC is um, a lot of people playing to win the big contest against hundreds of other people, right? As opposed to just a dozen other people in the league. So there's an incentive to sell out for upside. And of course, no pitcher has more upside than Jacob deGrom. So it's... It may it stands to reason that his his ADP might get elevated specifically in that format versus a standard fantasy league. All right, so you're leaving him there, SP six, right? Yes, but you know what the difference is? The difference is I I had him as SP six, and I might have just not given serious thought to taking him when my pick came up, and now I will. You know, right. sometimes sometimes you make out rankings and and you have players in certain spots just because you can't really justify ranking them lower than that but you don't really want to take them either. Uh, and that's kind of where I was with DeGrom. I'm not, I, I'm beyond that now, I think. Yeah, no, that's basically where I was at all offseason, Scott, with DeGrom and Shane Bieber, if, if I'm being totally honest. You know, we haven't seen Shane Bieber pitch in a spring training game yet, but so far, so good. Everything he said, he's 100%. So, you know, hopefully uh, once he does make that start, we'll, we'll see how Shane Bieber does as well. Let's get into our position preview updates. And of course, we will, you know, we'll go in order. We'll start with catcher here. And look, catcher is catcher, right? <laughs> in head-to-head points leagues and head-to-head category leagues, you likely start one catcher, which optimally is probably the, the way to play because there's not many great catchers. And then in Roto mm-hmm. Leagues, of course, you're playing with two catchers. What has changed since our position preview? Mitch Garver was traded to the Texas Rangers. Hopefully, uh, that leads to more consistent playing time for him. The ADP is 155.6 over the past week, so he's been moving up. Gary Sanchez was traded to the Twins. There's been talk that he can be the designated hitter on days where he is not catching. I, I think they view him more as the backup catcher and then... When he's not catching, he'll be the DH for the team. As a result, Kyle Higashioka looks like the starter for the Yankees. And top prospect Adley Rutschman is dealing with a triceps injury. So if we were expecting him to be ready for the start of the season with the Orioles or maybe two weeks in, you know, maybe you delay that by even a couple of more weeks. Maybe we're looking at m- more of a May call-up for Adley Rutschman at this point. Uh, Scott, 
your thoughts on the things that have changed at the catcher position. Yeah, so Garver's a big one. I was always high on Garver. I, I thought it was ridiculous. He was going outside the top 200 players. I mean, it's so hard to find upside at that position. And you've got a guy who over the last three seasons, 162 game pace over the last three seasons for Mitch Garver, 40 home runs. Obviously, no catcher plays 162 games, but there's upside there beyond what most any other catcher offers. So I, I loved the value of him before. But it seems like the move to the Rangers um, has, I, I guess, alle- alleviated some people's concerns. The concern that even when he was healthy last year, and he wasn't often healthy, but even when he was, it seemed like the Twins were inclined to have him split at bats, basically 50-50 with Ryan Jeffers. And would that continue? Well, now we don't have to. Now we don't have to ask that because he's with a new team, a team that actively traded for him, and I think is going to appreciate what Garver brings to the table more than the Twins did. By the way, like he, his pitch framing rating, Statcast, ninety third percentile for pitch framing is Mitch Carver. So. Like defensively, it stands to reason a team would want him in the lineup more too, not just the not just for the bat. So yeah, I think uh, I think we're starting to see him go ahead of Kbert Ruiz and Tyler Stevenson pushed up from the 200 range to the 150 range now, uh, at least in some leagues. I don't I don't know that the ADP has him ahead yet, but he's he's inching up toward that range, and I would certainly take him before those two. One change you didn't mention at this position: Dalton Varsho. We didn't know exactly what role the, the Diamondbacks had in mind for him, and now we do. Everyday center fielder with occasional starts behind the plate. And that seems like a pretty big deal for him because a cat, anytime there's a catcher in line for everyday at-bats elsewhere, he's going to have a playing time advantage over most everyone else at the position, and, and that in, a, in and of itself elevates him. But of course, Varjo has a pretty interesting offensive profile on top of it, one that includes the ability to steal bases. And I think he'll hit for average more than most catchers will. So uh, we talked about it when we did uh, our salary cap draft yesterday. I won him as my second catcher for $10 to pair with Salvador Perez. And I'm not sure in that format, look, I'm not going to move him ahead of Will Smith and JT Real Muto in my rankings, but I, I think if you're talking upside impact potential, I'm not sure in that format anyone aside aside from Perez has more than Varsho. I'm, I'm very interested in drafting. I always was, but even more so now. Yeah, I get the intrigue with Dalton Varsho. I really do. I mean, a catcher that can go, you know, 20, potentially 2020 is, I don't think it's out of the range of, of outcomes for him. I, I get it, but at the same time, I just don't know how good he is. He hits a lot of infield fly balls, lots of pop-ups. His quality of contact is not great, so I worry about those things. He still has well, options left. They have a prospect coming in, in Alec Thomas who can play center field. So I'm just playing yeah. the downside argument, Scott. I mean, obviously, you just presented the upside case, but for me, I, I'm just not going to draft him at his cost. Like You know, I, just I, I, of, haven't, yeah. I haven't broken it down month by month to see how the the stat cast metric, metrics changed over time. But when he first got called up in 2020, couldn't hit anything. Early on last year, it continued. His first, so his first 38 games last year, Dalton Varsho hit 144, which was similar to what we saw from him in 2020. Just like a, a nothing at the plate. 
But then he he suddenly figured it out. And over his last 57 games last year, Dalton Varsho hit 294 with an 886 OPS, which was very similar to the kinds of numbers he was putting up in the minors. So I think he just had a difficult adjustment period. And once he figured it out, he was off and, and doing the things he, he was expected to do all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my worry is that what if he has that difficult adjustment period again, right, to start this season? So uh, that's what I worry about with Dalton Varsho. Um, I wrote down, once he returned from June 20th on, 87.7 mile per hour average exit velocity. That's quite bad. And then a 7% barrel rate. So again, it's June I worry about the quality 20th. of, con- quality of okay. contact. Yeah. So July 20th was when the click happened. Okay. So I, I would so have to look at that. Another, there was another month of horrible bad, horrible numbers in there before then. But I don't know. I mean, look, he he may may he very well may have had a sub-90 average exit velocity. And it's fair to wonder about that. All right, July 20th. I'll pull this up quickly. We're spending way too much time on catcher. It's fine. Uh, 87.6 mile per hour average exit velocity from July okay. 20th on 7.8% barrel rate. So still not great. Uh, obviously, not Scott, great. your number one catcher, that you like to draft the season is Salvador Perez. Uh, how about yep. someone who's outside your top 12? Like someone who you might target as like a, a catcher two in a two catcher league. Yeah, I, I think Joey Bart's being undervalued given the likelihood he's the Giants primary catcher and a former top prospect himself. I guess a current top prospect. He hasn't graduated yet fully. Elias Diaz, I look to a lot just because he's playing for the Rockies and he was, you know, once they went to him full time and, and did away with Dom Nunez, Oh, yeah. A timeshare last year. Diaz did take advantage of his environment and put up pretty good numbers. Yeah, from June 1st on, 283 batting average, 17 home runs, and 897 OPS for Elias Diaz. I'm with you, Scott, 100%. He's the second catcher I target most. My first catcher, Yasmani Grandal. Regardless of format, Roto, not great batting average, but I think he's going to hit for a lot of power. He crushed the ball last year. And then in points leagues, he just walks so much. He's part of a great lineup. He's going to play quite a bit. Uh, so Grandal and Elias Diaz are the ones that I target most. First base, what has changed? Freddie Freeman signed with the Dodgers. Matt Olson was traded to the Atlanta Braves. Anthony Rizzo re-signed with the New York Yankees. And Luke Voigt was traded to the San Diego Padres. He was freed. Now, how far have we moved him up the ranks? Scott has him 142nd overall. Chris has him 143rd. I don't know how this happened, but I have him 129th, so maybe I need to reevaluate things, but I've got him inside my top 130. His ADP since Saturday, the trade happened on Friday last week. Since Saturday, there's been 28 drafts. Luke Voigt's ADP is 226.6. So people are still not valuing him anywhere close to where he needs to be. Scott, what do you think about what has changed at first base since we did our preview? Yeah, I thought that was strange. I thought that was strange because... You know, we've given the numbers a hundred times after joining the Yankees. You know, his his entire stint with the Yankees, which began the second half of 2018, Voigt was basically a 270 hitter with a 900 OPS, and he homered at a better rate per plate appearance than than Matt Olson during that stretch. And that was even with him playing through a couple injuries that clearly hindered his production, including last year. So I, I pro. Productivity-wise, I, I don't know what there is to question here. He is going to a bigger park, I guess, but he's going to play every day. Like the, the Padres acquired him to play primary DH. Hopefully that'll keep him healthier too. 
you know, we talk about the profit pocket at first base, Joey Votto, Josh Bell, CJ Crone, Reese Hoskins. Aside from maybe Joey Votto with what he showed last year, Luke Voigt might have the most potential of those guys. I mean, he's a major league leader in home runs in, in 2020. Short season and all, but still. Uh, I do have him ranked behind him still. I actually have him a tier behind the profit pocket still, but it's it's close. I mean, he showed up. He had lost some weight. He was feeling healthy. Like every, everything you want to hear we've about Luke Voigt, we've been hearing out of Padres camp. So, you know, I think uh, it's crazy that his ADP hasn't gone up. And I, I wonder if there's something specific to the NFBC that's causing that to happen. Because I feel like there has been, you know, since the trade, there's been more positive chatter on fantasy baseball Twitter about Voight. Yeah, look, there's still a very obvious downside, and that has been health for Luke Voigt. So maybe people are just worried that he can't stay on the field. He's dealt with Outside a foot injury. I think it's I think it's like plantar fasciitis, and uh, he dealt with a bunch of stuff last year as well. So maybe that's it, but look, obviously, I, I've come around with you guys. I said at once I knew he was going to be a starter somewhere, I was moving him up, and that's exactly what I've done. Uh, Scott, your typical strategy, someone you find yourself drafting most at first base, I mean, the idea of drafting a Paul Goldschmidt or Pete Alonzo sounds great to me. I would love to do it. In a snake draft, the problem is I'm either usually targeting pitching in that range or another position, and then that's why I wind up with the profit pocket. We did our salary cap draft yesterday. No excuses. Mm-hmm. I can get whoever I want. I wound up getting Pete Alonzo. That's exactly who I wanted. Uh, so you can do it there, but snake draft, it's a little bit harder. I, I I haven't really been able to use a fourth or fifth round pick as often as I want to on a first baseman. Yeah, I've rarely drafted from that Olsen, Goldschmidt, Alonzo tier either. There were some early drafts, like for a while there, Alonzo was trailing the other two and, and I was able to get him in round five and certainly like the value of that, but that doesn't seem to be happening as much anymore. How, how first base typically plays out for me is I'm higher than the consensus on both Vladimir Guerrero and Freddie Freeman it's part of being intentionally unintentional about steals and just valuing those first rounders for their hitting ability. And and so that causes me to push those two up, those two non-base stealers up in a way other people don't. So if I'm picking early in round one, it's very likely I'm ending up with Guerrero. If I'm picking late in round one, it's very likely I'm picking up with, I'm, I'm picking Freeman. But if I don't end up with either of them as my first base men, then yes, I'm, generally turning to that profit pocket like you are, Frank. Again, four names there being Joey Votto, Josh Bell, CJ Crone, and Reese Hoskins. feel like they're all going later than um, than their upside, or, or really even just their base-level expectations suggest they should. I don't know why they're going after Jared Walsh and Ryan Mountcastle on average, but they are. Uh, Before we get to second base, let me tell you about a new show coming to Paramount+. Plus. Some of you definitely played the game when you were younger. Earth's most advanced warrior, Master Chief, must defend humanity from the alien species, the Covenant, while unlocking dark secrets from his past in the new Paramount Plus original series, Halo. Stream it March 24th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com slash Halo to try it for free. Definitely excited about this. It's an awesome video game. Grew up playing it. Uh excited to, to see this once it comes out March 24th again check it out uh, Halo on Paramount Plus 
Second base, what has changed? Max Muncy made his spring debut at third base the other day, but been there's been some positive notes about him. I think most recently we heard you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was 85% health is what we heard from Dave Roberts, so he's trending in the right direction. The ADP is up to 122.6 over the past week. Uh, for the Yankees, we've got a bit of a logjam here. DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres uh, at second base. They acquired Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who's expected to play short. Josh Donaldson, who could play third base. Now, they have a lot of injury-prone players on this team, so this can very easily work itself out if something happens there. But as of now, it seems like one of LeMahieu or Glaber is going to be on the outside looking in. Of course, LeMahieu can be a super utility bat if that's what they want yeah. it to be. Uh, and then Luis yeah. Arias is dealing with a quad injury, which sucks because Chris and I both had him as a breakout candidate. Uh, all right, Scott, how are you feeling about Muncie, some of these Yankees guys? Uh, I feel like those are the biggest changes at second base. Feeling a little bit, uh, feeling a little better about Muncie, in part because they can just make him a full time DH now. And with Freddie Freeman on board, you know he's never going to play first base. Muncie he might be asked to play second base from time to time. I guess it's possible third base from time to time, but it it won't have to be that much. And we saw. Uh, we saw Shohei Otani after he tore his, his UCL. He stopped pitching but was able to continue hitting and hitting well the season that he actually tore it and, and already knew he needed Tommy John surgery, but I'll just keep hitting and wait until after the season to get it. So I, I don't feel like the discount for Muncie, I, I guess I should consult with ADP before I say this, but just from my own personal experience, I feel like the people I draft with, they're not discounting Muncie enough for me to have to really think about taking him. Uh, if I do take him, I want it to be at a, like a real obvious discount. And I just, that hasn't been happening. I mean, you know, he's going to be a liability in batting average in all likelihood. Certainly in points leagues, he rates better than Roto, but it's not, he's, he's somebody I can live without if it's only a modest discount. Uh, DJ LeMayhew. I, I think he's probably still going to end up playing every day. They'll they'll move him around like you suggested, Frank. Like maybe he'll start every game at first base against left-handers, uh, keeping Rizzo out of the lineup. Probably start at third base on occasion for Donaldson and shift Donaldson to DH, shift Stanton to the outfield, or maybe give Stanton a day off, whatever. But it it might not be every single day. And considering LeMayhew isn't going to be Certainly not a great speed source, but probably not a great power source either. You really, you really need him to rack up those counting stats, and I'm not confident that's going to happen. I always had him ranked low, but I think others are less inclined to take him as a starter now themselves. Who would you rather have between LeMahieu and Max Muncie? Oh, Muncie, easily. It was never like I, I have LeMahieu buried. Oh, geez. Right. Yeah, I just, I don't think that power is coming back, and. I don't. I don't think there's enough else there to prioritize him. Like I'd rather have Ty France. I think France. I think gives you a little more power and and probably. I mean, he'll be a bet. He'll be. He'll at least be a a benefit in batting average. I don't know if he'll be as much of a benefit as Lemayhew, but he'll at least be a benefit in his own right. All right, Scott. Who is your favorite second baseman to target in drafts? Altuve. Jose Altuve. He was. Pretty studly last year. Uh, I, I think it, it, it's most notable in points leagues where 
the gap between him in terms of points per game uh, between like him and some of the others we think of in that same tier, Brandon Lau and Cattell Marte. Sorry, I'm stalling because I'm trying to pull it up so I can give you the exact number. Okay, so Marcus Simeon averaged 3.66 points per game last year. Amazing. Jose Altuve was right there, 3.60. Ozzy Albies was 3.45. Brandon Lau, 3.24. Cattell Marte, 3.22. So Altuve clearly stood out among that group. And, you know, that's points leagues where his lack of steals don't hurt you as much, where his lack of strikeouts helps you a lot more. But the bottom line is uh, he's going to score a crap load of runs at the top of the Astros lineup. He's going to be one of the best power hitters at the position. And he's going to be not the standout in batting average he was before, but I think he's going to be helpful in that category a way, in a way uh, you know, a lot of the others at this position won't be. All right. I really like targeting Cattell Marte and Jorge Polanco. They both offer different skill sets in Roto. Cattell Marte, the batting average is going to be higher. Maybe not as much power. Um, not Probably not as many steals either, but uh, just, I mean, the overall upside. I think if Cattell Marte, everything clicks. I think his upside is still higher than uh, Jorge Polanco, which is crazy because Polanco is coming off a massive season as well. But uh, yeah, Polanco, you know, 25 home runs, 10 to 12 steals, something like that. I think the Twins lineup is, is a little bit undervalued. Both are great in head-to-head points leagues. If I somehow miss out on both of those, which has happened in a few mock drafts, I usually just end up waiting and, and taking one of Colton Wong or Gene Segura, which sounds gross, but... That's yeah, too low for me. They are undervalued. <laughs> like you can at least get France or, or Brendan Rogers. I love the upside of Brendan Rogers. Sure. Rockies. Yeah. But you do you, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Colton Wong and Gene Segura. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to third base. All of a sudden, not looking so bad. Chris Bryant signed with the Colorado Rockies. The ADP over the past week, 64.1. Scott has him 50th overall in his ranks. I have him 56th overall, so we're a little bit ahead on ADP over the past week. Uh, Bobby Witt apparently could start at third base for the Kansas City Royals. His ADP is up to 82.8 over the past week. Josh Donaldson traded to the Yankees. Matt Chapman traded to the Toronto Blue Jays. Donaldson going at pick 172. And Chapman 166.7 over the past week. So both of those are on the rise which I think makes sense. Anthony Rendon also declared himself 100% healthy, and he played in a spring training game on Tuesday. I think he picked up a hit, um, but overall, seeing him declare himself healthy and actually playing games you know, gives us a little bit more confidence there. Scott, what do you think? Do you actually feel better about third base now? I, I mean, the, the Chris Bryant move to the Rockies really does change the complexion of the position because remember before we were talking about, or at least I was talking about, a top five that I felt like I had to get to avoid getting stuck uh, just constantly in search of help at the position the whole year because, you know, there there is some upside later on with Anthony Rendon and Matt Chapman and even like Yohan Moncada, but it's, it's not, there are no guarantees there. So if you pick the wrong guy, w- what do you turn to once that happens? And I just didn't want to be in that position. But Brian is now a part of that group. He's extended it by one. I don't worry about his lackluster exit velocities, which have been consistent, by the way. I think during the juiced ball era, the 
highest he rated for average exit velocity was 30th percentile. So we're not even talking middling exit velocities. We're talking poor exit velocities for Chris Bryant. And he succeeded in spite of it, in part of because it was the juice ball era. He sort of succeeded in spite of it last year, but I wasn't sure if we could count on that continuing. Going to Colorado, though, like they're just... It just raises his hitter pro... It, like it just... it. There's so much help there. So much help playing in that thin air environment and that Babbitt boosting ballpark. I, I'm kind of penciling him in for a 300 batting average and 30 homers. That's probably the high side of what he's going to deliver, but I, it's easy to envision because the batted ball data wasn't that much better for Nolan Arenado during his time in Colorado and look at the numbers he put up. So, yeah... Bryant's moved ahead of Arenado now for me. He's closing in on Austin Riley in those third base rankings, and I'm genuinely excited to draft him. Still, uh, things things drop off a cliff not long after that, and uh, you have to you have to just pick an upside play and hope it works out. I feel a little bit better about Chapman. He has talked about how the strength in his lower body is back and he's able to get his legs in a swing more. And hopefully that brings his exit velocities up to where we were used to seeing him like that 36 homer season with the athletics. There's a great supporting cast now with the blue Jays. So uh, he's probably my favorite. If I do miss out on those top third basemen, I think the Josh Donaldson hype is a little overblown because his significance is it was always dependent on how much he played and at 36 years old with his recent injury history I, it's hard it's hard to imagine him staying healthy all season whether it's in Minnesota or New York I don't think it matters that much his power is mostly to his pull side so I, I don't think he's going to be taking advantage of the short porch and right at Yankee Stadium much I uh, He's, his ADP has gone up, but I think that's just, you know, his name being in headlines and the association with the Yankees and all of that. I, I don't think there's, I, I don't think you should feel that comfortable taking him as your starting third baseman still. All right. One day after uh, I get him as my starting third baseman in the salary cap league, <laughs> it's my own fault. I, I waited at the position. Um, Scott, who would you rather have, Matt Chapman or Josh Donaldson? Just in a vacuum. I currently have Donaldson ranked ahead, but I've been meaning to move up Chapman. I think I think I'm going to say Chapman. All right, what is your strategy slash favorite players to draft at this position? So my strategy, I kind of laid it out already, is get one of those to top get, five, basically. Get one of those well top six now with yeah. Chris Bryant among them. And I've recently moved up Rafael Devers into the round one range. I've moved him ahead of. Mookie Betts and Kyle Tucker and Freddie Freeman, and he's in the first round for me because I feel like, first of all, expectations for him and Freddie Freeman shouldn't be that different. Give Freeman a little more batting average, I guess. Maybe give Devers a little more in the home run category, though. Uh, But, you know, Devers was one of the biggest underachievers in terms of expected batting average last year. So batting average may not be as far apart as you think. And I'd rather just fill that third base spot with uh, somebody I can trust to put up stud numbers, knowing a lot in the league won't have have stud numbers at that position. If it doesn't work out for me to get one of those top six, then I am probably 
falling back on either Anthony Rendon or Matt Chapman. I wished Alex Bre- Bregman went a little later because I, I think he, I, I, I like his bounce back potential too, but he tends to go not long after Arenado. And I, I think there needs, at least in categories leagues, there needs to be more separation between the two. In points leagues, I'd actually just straight up take Bregman ahead because his plate discipline is so good. Yeah, the ADP for Bregman, according to Fantasy Pro, 72.6. So he's going about 16 spots after Nolan Arenado. And I believe that ADP is based on Roto slash Category League. So looking for a little bit more of a difference there. For me, just pray. Pray that I can land one of Rafael Devers or Manny Machado or Jose Ramirez, depending on where I'm drafting in the first round. If not, go ahead, Scott. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah, if I, if I miss out on Devers or Machado, I, I usually just end up waiting at the position at that point and then grab one of Justin Turner, Josh Donaldson, or Matt Chapman. So two really old guys and someone who's, you know, trying to come back from a hip injury that he had, you know, a couple of years ago, but still, we haven't seen him play at that high level in a while. I have been surprised by how much I've liked the value of Adalberto Mondesi. If you can get him in like round seven or later in a categories league, I think it's worth the risk because, I mean, he could carry you in steals if he plays even 120 games, you know? And and I don't like I don't like spending a lot on steals. And if I can just have that one that one chance at, you know, I just have to use one pick basically and not a very high pick to be pretty much set in the category. I like the idea of that. But, of course, if he's your only third baseman and then he gets hurt, as he so often does, then what do you do? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, We're going to save shortstop for a little bit later. And before we hit the break, just want to remind everyone, we made it through the first weekend of Madness, and now we have 16 teams left competing to cut down the nets in New Orleans. If you want the latest previews, picks, and bracket breakdowns, listen to Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander on the Eye on College Basketball podcast. Gary and Matt will also be recording after each night of tournament action, recapping games instantly. For the best March Madness analysis, listen and follow to the Eye on College Basketball podcast anywhere you find this one. And speaking of of March Madness. A gentleman named Peter Whalen is leading our FBT bracket challenge, and if he wins, he gets a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus and a free spot in one of our listener leagues, and me, not performing so well. 296th out of 464 brackets that we put together uh, here at FBT, and I had Auburn as my champion, they're already out, so I don't think that's going to go too well. Scott, I looked up where you... I think you're inside the top 120 or so. You're you're much higher than I am, so... All right. Good on you. All, all, all my college basketball <laughs> insights paying off. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell a quick story about Auburn, by the way, too. When I was in New Orleans for my bachelor party, I was picking up some fried chicken late one night. I was, you know, a little intoxicated, uh, and there were some guys there that... Uh, we're, we're talking with a thick Southern accent. So I went up to them and I started talking to them. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, and th- they were from Auburn. And they started talking to me about Auburn college basketball. And they're like, this is the year. We're winning it all. And that was the sole reason why I chose Auburn to be my champion. So shout out to those guys. You led me in the wrong direction. Uh, speaking of Auburn and this FPT bracket and our listener leagues, here is your chance to throw your name in the hat. 
Head to Head Points Listener League. This is our official announcement. Head to Head Points Listener League will be this upcoming Monday. I know it's kind of a quick turnaround. March 28th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. For the people, 16-team head-to-head categories league will be the following Tuesday, April 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. What do you do? How do you get involved? Email your entry to fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, and put FBT Listener League in the subject line. Let's have some fun with this. Get creative. Send us a song. uh, Make a Photoshop picture. Have some fun with it make a poem, a haiku, whatever you want to do, design a t-shirt. We're looking for a t-shirt design for FBT here. So if you, <laughs> you make something creative, there's a good chance that we're going to put it on a t-shirt. Uh, so have some fun with it. And if not, if you don't have some kind of creative, whatever, it, just tell us why you think you deserve to be in the listener league. So again, uh, Monday, March 28th, 9 p.m. Eastern time. That's the points league. And then uh, the for the people 16 team head-to-head categories league following Tuesday, April 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Those are all the details. We'll take a quick break when we return. News and notes and some spring training standouts here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, so the latest. Unfortunately, Luis Castillo, another shoulder injury, has been shut down and may not be ready for opening day. Scott, I don't know if you lowered him in the rankings yet. I moved him down to SP32. Not a massive drop. I think I had him around SP25 or 26. I wasn't really excited to draft him anyway. But I moved him behind Rodon, Pablo Lopez, and Otani, just ahead of Clayton Kershaw. What do you think about that spot? I think that's fine. I mean, it's a modest drop, like you said. I, I, I don't think this is a big deal. It reminds me a little of the Zach Wheeler situation, except you know, Zach Wheeler's shoulder soreness was in December, and Luis Castillo's was in March. So maybe he's a little further behind even than than Wheeler. But he's already throwing long toss. They think he might miss a turn in the rotation. Apparently, the soreness is gone now. It just was there at the beginning, which could, you know, it, it, it could mean there's an, an injury that hasn't been discovered yet, or it could just be soreness. So all signs right now point to soreness. If he lasts two or three rounds beyond where he's supposed to go, I think I'll be happy to take Luis Castillo. Teoscar Hernandez has been sidelined with a mild wrist sprain after making a diving catch recently. Charlie Montoyo told reporters that Hernandez had a full workout on Tuesday and should be back in the lineup soon. 
Good news. Stalling Marte hit off of a tee on Tuesday, his first time doing so since arriving at Mets camp. He's currently dealing with oblique soreness, something he dealt with last year as well. You know, Scott, I was touching up the rankings yet. I haven't moved Starling Marte down yet. I still kind of feel like there's enough time here where he can get right. Maybe I'm just being optimistic, but what do you think? Well, if he's hitting off a tee, I mean, I feel like hitting is the main thing you worry about with that injury, the oblique. So I was reading that MRI showed something else in there that they didn't really know what was going on. He... He had a he had a rib injury last year, and they seemed confused by what they were seeing in the MRI. But Great. he's feeling well enough to hit. That's a good sign. Uh, you know, I haven't really been drafting Starling Marte this whole time because he doesn't fit with my unintentional about intentionally unintentional about stolen bases policy. Right. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of unsure what I want to do with him myself. All right, James McCann was scratched from the Mets lineup on Tuesday with back discomfort. Jazz Chisholm left Tuesday's game after being hit on the hand with a ground ball. Doesn't sound too serious there. Eric Lauer was scratched from his start on Tuesday with groin discomfort. Something to watch because this could open up a rotation spot for Aaron Ashby. Luis Patino was scratched from his spring training start on Tuesday after experiencing arm discomfort. Not great. Odubel Herrera was sent for an MRI after experiencing soreness in his right oblique. Mike Moustakis left Tuesday's game after diving for a grounder. He was seen holding his left shoulder. Manager David Bell said he expects Moustakis to return to spring games in a couple of days. The Blue Jays signed Matt Chapman to a two-year, $25 million contract, which buys out the final two years of his arbitration, which is good news for those who have him in keeper and dynasty leagues. The Dodgers signed Kevin Pillar to a minor league contract. Uh, the Yankees and Padres have both checked in on the availability of Wilson Contreras. Definitely makes sense for the Yankees. They have Kyle Higashioka penciled in as their starter as of now. And the Padres, they have like four different catcher eligible players that they can use. So doesn't make as much sense there. Uh, some rule changes, updates slash updates. I don't, I don't know. It's, it seems pretty late for this to happen, but it's happening. MLB rosters have been expanded to... Uh, 28 players for all of April. Makes sense, given the abbreviated spring training. And uh, another one here, this is the Otani rule, apparently. If a starting pitcher is also hitting in the lineup, then that player remains as the DH, even if he is pulled from the start. So promoting two-way players, and that way, you know, you don't have to worry if Otani's starting on a day. You know, do they have to move him to the outfield? Do they have to get creative to keep him in the lineup? He'll be able to say. He'll, he'll just be the DH after yes, that. Yes, and that is the one pitcher that's relevant for, basically. <laughs> yeah. Brendan McKay, where you at, bud? Can uh, can we get you two-way two way going again, uh, hitting and pitching? Who knows? Uh, lastly, there will be a ghost runner in extra innings for just this season, 2022, and doubleheaders will be nine-inning games. Some spring training standouts. Let's try and... Uh, this is tough because there's so many I wanted to talk about. Let's focus on Jesus Lazardo. Three perfect innings with two strikeouts on Tuesday. Velocity was up two to three miles per hour on all four of his pitches, which is fantastic. However, he still threw his fastball a bunch. I think it was four seam and sinker combined for almost 70% of his pitches in the start. Whatever, it's one spring start. But he also was not throwing his fastball for strikes very often. So it's kind of a mixed bag. You love to see the velocity, but you still you want to see him work on this command and, and grow in that way. But uh, overall, Scott, I thought this was a very positive step for Jesus Lazardo. 
Yeah, I mean, more velocity was certainly raised the ceiling, and it's so rare to see a left-hander hitting 98, 99 like he was that I was pretty excited about it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We we were kind of hoping we'd see him throw his curveball and change up a lot and him use his fastball very little, basically just as a change of pace pitch. And he used it a ton. You know, part of that could just be spring training in that a lot of pitchers bring along their secondary slower than the fastball. Part of it, though, could be that like maybe the fastball, if it's two miles an hour harder, it's not such a bad pitch for him, you know? So it's, it's, I'm, I'm pretty much encouraged by it more than, more than anything else. All right. I may be going a little bit too hard after this, but I moved Jesus Lazardo up to SP61. And you have him at 85, and Chris has him at 89. So, yeah, maybe you know, I'm being I could be too aggressive on him, but I, I do like, I've liked him even before this, and obviously, you know, I feel a little bit better now. So 50th in my starting pitcher rankings, remember I used to refer to a top 55, but attrition and whatnot has whittled it down to a top 50 at the position for me. So 50th for me is Patrick Sandoval, 49th Logan Gilbert, Ian, uh, 48th Ian Anderson, 47th Noah Syndergaard to give you some idea the range of pitchers we're talking about. Beyond 50, beyond Patrick Sandoval, I could be talked into doing just about anything. I mean, just go after the guy whose upside you feel best about, if whether it's Zach Greinke because of his track record or Jesus Lazardo or, I don't know, Joe Ryan, whoever. Wh- whomever gets you excited, I think once the top 50 starting pitchers are gone, have at it. All right, Scotty, you're rocking that brave shirt. Let's talk about him. Max Freed, three perfect innings. The slider velo was up two and a half miles per hour on Tuesday. Waskar Yanoa threw three scoreless innings. He also threw four changeups, which accounted for, I think it was 10 or 11% of his pitches. But that's interesting because if the changeup actually matters for Yanoa and he throws it like 10 to 15% of the time, he really needs a third pitch. So I'm, I'm following that very closely. Spencer Strider threw two scoreless innings with three strikeouts. As of now, we know Freed... Morton, Anderson, those are the top three in the Braves rotation. It appears, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, Enoa, Spencer Strider, Tucker Davidson, Kyle, uh, Kyle Mur- Muller. I wanted to say Kyler Murray, reading that name. It's, there's a lot going on there. Kyle Muller for the other two spots. So four pitchers for two spots. So I got that right? Yeah. And if so, who do, you, think, who do you think wins those spots? Kyle Wright and Tuki Toussaint. Sure. They're probably in the mix technically as well, but they've been tried several times before. The ones I'm rooting for are Enoa and Spencer Strider. Like Strider, I think, has the most upside of this group. Strider, Strider's swinging strike rate in the minors last year was absurd, 21%. That's Oof. that that's something DeGrom does at, at the major league level and basically nobody else. So very excited about Strider's potential. And he did briefly appear as a out of the bullpen late last year after surging through all four levels of the minors. But he does seem like a long shot compared to some of these others. Uh, Kyle Muller has up the, a lot of upside as well. So rooting for him. Yeah, those are the two I'm rooting for. All right, the other quick mentions here. Joe Ryan, two scoreless innings with one strikeout. Fastball velocity was up 1.2 miles per hour compared to last year. He also threw his secondary pitches a little bit more. A curveball, a changeup, a slider. 
I think that can go a long way for Joe Ryan. Tristan McKenzie threw two perfect innings with three strikeouts. Yusei Kikuchi threw two scoreless against the Yankees with four strikeouts. And I'm wondering if he deserves a little bit more attention, Scott, because the Blue Jays pitching coach, Pete Walker, I mean, he did great work last year with Robbie Ray. Maybe he could do something similar with Yusei Kikuchi. Obviously not win the the Cy Young, but obviously there's there's upside there. Can Can he get it out of him, I guess is the question. I noticed there was more separation between like the velocity was down for Kikuchi, but there was more separation between the fastball and the slider and the cutter than there was last year that it was down more on the cutter and slider. I don't know if that's anything to be encouraged about. It was what two innings that he threw. Yeah. But it's something, it's something to keep an eye on, I guess. All right, Madison Bumgarner got rocked, but his cutter was up 2.7 miles per hour. His fastball was up 1.4. John Means allowed four runs over two and a third innings. His fastball velo was down 1.3 miles per hour compared to last season, which again, like this is his first start. I think that's an an acceptable range for your velo to be down at this point in camp. Like he's probably going to work up. So, you know, just don't overreact too much to that. I, I happen to remember as somebody who was bullish on John Means at this time a year ago, he was horrible last spring (laughs) and he actually even commented on it after this start so i want to pay too much attention to it Uh, a few prospect hitter notes bobby witt smoked his first home run of the season joe adele hit his second homer of spring training uh this one was over the batter's eye in center field very impressive and then julio rodriguez went one for three with an rbi double continuing to try and uh, make his case for opening day. All right, Scott, we've had we have four very important positions. Can we do it in the next ten to fifteen minutes? That will be our <laughs> goal. Uh, shortstop updates since the last time we spoke about him. Fernando Tatis is having wrist surgery; could miss up to three months. The injury was announced on March fourteenth, from March fifteenth to the twenty second. Fifty drafts over at the NFBC. Tatis's ADP is sixty one point two. I put out a poll asking if you draft him inside the top 60 or outside of the top 60. 73% of the vote said they would draft him outside of the top 60 picks. Trevor Story signed with the Red Sox. Carlos Correa signed with the Twins. Adalberto Mondesi will apparently play shortstop for the Royals, so he will have dual eligibility, third and shortstop. And O'Neill Cruz looks like a spring training superstar. Those are my updates. Scott, what do you think? Uh, good updates, yeah. Now, Tatis is obviously a big one. And it again, it makes sense for what I was saying earlier about the NFBC, that he would go higher in that particular format. Uh, though I did I did make a point in our uh, salary cap draft last night to, to win him after I didn't get as many first-round caliber bats as I wanted because I thought, okay, well, for at least the last two-thirds of the season, hopefully I can have another first-round caliber bat. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Obviously, wrist surgery, that could play out all sorts of different ways. But the level of talent is so high there that I just I just think he's going to be able to brush it off. And, uh, you know, it kind of depends on how my team construction is going, whether or not I want to take that chance on Fernando Tatis. Officially, he's around 100th in my rankings. But there are certainly times, the, the shallower the league, the better, I would say that I would take him earlier than that. Uh, great landing spot for Trevor Story in, at Fenway Park. I think that's going to work well for him. Not as good as Coors Field, obviously, but I have a little more hope for him hitting for batting average still and hitting 30-plus homers. Uh, let's see. Who else did you mention is changing? Correa to the Twins. Yeah, that, that doesn't really change much. It, it probably lowers his overall ceiling, but 
Uh, I, I don't think we've seen his overall ceiling yet, so I'm not sure anybody was approaching him, was drafting him based on that anyway. Mm-hmm. O'Neal f- Cruz. O'Neal Cruz, it sounds like, is not going to be on the opening day roster. Okay. Which is not surprising. It's the Pirates, but I think we were all hoping he would. I don't know. If he homers, if he homers every other day, maybe he forces the issue. But that, that the consensus among Pirates beat writers is that he won't be. Will he by May 1st? I think there's a good chance. All right. Who is your favorite to draft at this position? My favorite to draft, Willie Adamas, still. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think he could perform as well as Carlos Correa. You could squint and see him performing as well as Xander Bogarts. And he goes much later than both. Much, much later than Bogarts. Mm Mm-hmm. I do like getting some of those mid-round options. Trevor Story, I got him in our salary cap draft yesterday. Him or Francisco Lindor in a categories league. Wander Franco in that fourth, fifth round range in a head-to-head points league. Love it. If I miss out on him with you, fallback option, Willie Adamas for sure. Let's move over to outfield and updates. Since our position preview, the Braves' tentative plan for Ronald Acuna is to return as the designated hitter on April 21st, and then hopefully play in the outfield a month after that. Stalling Marte is dealing with that oblique injury. There's concern over Aaron Judge's vaccination status in New York City. Uh, Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber signed with the Phillies. Jesse Winker was traded to the Seattle Mariners. Seiya Suzuki signed with the Chicago Cubs. Over the past week, his ADP is 153.9. He went for $22 in our salary cap draft on Monday night. Tim McLeod, by the way, absolutely loves him. So I don't know that that's how you should value him, but uh, just keep that in mind. It's like, you know, the top of the fan club. And then Jorge Soler, uh, Soler went to the Marlins and Eddie Rosario went to the Braves. I might be missing a few things, but there's a lot that's happened, Scott. Yeah, there is. There is. I haven't really been approaching Aaron Judge differently. I wasn't the most eager to draft him in the first place just because of his injury history and the price tag. Uh, I I don't know. I was seeing something today about how they're talking about having the unvaccinated players change in the parking lot and then go straight to the field. So ridiculous, Scott. Oh my gosh. And I I don't know if it'll ultimately come to that, but the bottom line is I think they're going to figure out a way to make it happen. So I'm, you know, we'll see how it looks on April 6th, but right now I, I don't think I'm inclined to change my the way I approach Judge right now. Uh, Castellanos and Schwarber going to Phillies, the Phillies, that is great news for both, especially Castellanos, who I was inclined to call a bust before then because it seems like he is so dependent on his venue. Um, and they were talking about Miami maybe as a potential destination for him, but Philadelphia is almost as good as Cincinnati, so he is no longer a bust candidate in my mind, is Castellanos. However, Jesse Winker going to the Mariners might be Cincinnati to Seattle. Pretty big park downgrade for his career with Cincinnati. His OPS was like 100 points lower on the road, and I think there are significant platoon concerns for him too because he's so bad against lefties. I'm not sure a non-contender is going to put up with that as much. Yeah, they. I saw a report recently, Scott, that the Mariners said that they want to play him more against left-handed pitching, which, all right, I mean, he's going to be out there more, but that might drag down his overall numbers, right? I mean, he. we have enough of a sample size to know that Jesse Winker is very bad yeah. against left-handed yeah. pitching. So right. I, don't, I don't know so, that that's necessarily a good thing for him. 
so bad that to put up the numbers, the overall numbers he did last year, he had it like 360 against right-handers, which is just, it's hard to imagine him sustaining that year after year, you know? So, yeah, I mean, and even if that's the plan going in, that may not be the plan all year, playing him more against lefties. So I think there's, I think there's enough to be concerned about for Winker that I'd, I'd want to get him at a discount if I got him at all. All right, Scott. Seemingly, there are outfielders at every part of the draft. Um, three forty-six. Three forty-six is what Winker hit against righties last year. Yeah, amazing. Um, who are a few outfielders? Maybe you know some early, some middle, maybe some late that you find yourself drafting most. Okay, uh, let's see. So Schwarber, like drafting Schwarber though. He's. If, I feel like he's been moving up. I don't know if the ADP data shows that necessarily, but he's been harder to get than he was when we first started drafting. But I think he has 40 homer potential. And he reunited with Kevin Long in Philadelphia, by the way. That was the hitting coach credited for getting him back to his old stance in the first half last year with the Nationals. Now they're both together in Philadelphia. So that's another reason to be excited about Schwarber. Let's see who else. By the way, his ADP over the past week, Scott, it has moved up about a round. So he's up to 105.6 over the past week. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, he's been rising in ADP as well, but I still think given the upside, remember 2020, he was the number one outfielder. So I tend to draft a lot of him, a lot of... Uh, a lot of Jorge Soler, and I don't think moving to the Marlins changes that much for him. I mean, he he had his 48 homer season in Kansas City, after all. Mm-hmm. Hunter Renfro, 19th best outfielder in Roto Leagues last year and is clearly not being drafted like it. I think what he did is totally sustainable. I like the power Adam Duvall provides, though that's obviously more of a late-round pick. And I like the upside... For the price, I like the upside of Joe Adele and Alex Kirilov and even like Julio Rodriguez really late because I think he has a better chance of making the opening day roster than a lot of people are giving him credit for. All right, for me, I like targeting the White Sox early on in drafts, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, uh, the Phillies as well. I I've, I want to get some Nick Cassianos over my next couple of drafts, so I'm going to make that. Uh, a priority for me. I like Kyle Schwarber as well. Cody Bellinger, if I'm targeting one of him, or Yelich, it is Cody Bellinger for me. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel, last full-time player that you could find from the Blue Jays lineup. I guess Matt Chapman kind of fits that category now too. Marcelo Zuna, I'm right there with you, Scott. Uh, Later on, Eddie Rosario, Joe Adele, and of course, Connor Joe, baby. Very late in drafts. Mm -hmm. Starting pitcher, Oh boy, lots of updates here. Zach Wheeler dealing with that shoulder injury. He has thrown two bullpens. Doesn't sound too bad at this point. Chris Sale has a stress fracture on the right side of his rib cage. Luis Castillo has shoulder soreness, which which we mentioned earlier. Jack Flaherty received a PRP injection to address a small tear in his right shoulder and will be he was shut down late last week. I think it was Friday from throwing for about 2 weeks. Justin Verlander, velocity looks good, right where he was back in 2019. Carlos Rodon signed with the Giants. Clayton Kershaw back with the Dodgers. Chris Bassett traded to the Mets. Shane Boz, just yesterday we learned uh, arthroscopic surgery to remove loose bodies in his elbow. Uh, Zach Gallen, off-season shoulder issues. He threw live batting practice on Monday. That went well. Lance McCullers, still not doing great. Flexor tendon train and won't be ready for the start of the season. 
Sonny Gray was traded to the Twins. Zach Greinke was traded to the Royals. All right, Scott. This was a lot. But for me, the biggest takeaway is that there is a lot of attrition, which you mentioned earlier at the starting pitcher position. Does that does that mean you want to get more of them as like insurance policies, even if it's in the mid rounds, just because pitchers are dropping like flies right now? Yeah, I am. I'm very much on board with the quantity over quality approach to the position this year. I don't think the standouts stand out as much as they used to, and I think the the upper middle class is very deep. So, yes, in short, yes. But you know, obviously, depending on the setup of your league, you can only afford to divert from hitters so much. Roto leagues, I'm definitely going much lighter on starting pitching. With Tal Wars being an exception, just because the values were so good, much lighter on starting pitching than I had than I than I was doing last year. Uh, reacting to some of this news, I've I think I've been drafting. I think since the since word f- first broke about Zach Wheeler's shoulder, I've gotten him in like every draft we've done because I I don't think that's anything to worry about, and particularly with the salary cap drafts, the auctions, you definitely saw his value lowered because of it. So I was happy to take advantage of that. Carlos Rodon, because he got a two-year deal from the Giants at a high average annual value, and it's the Giants, I feel a lot better about drafting him. I've moved him into that tier of pitchers with ace potential, but also question marks, and that includes like you Darvish. I have him behind Justin Verlander, but I'm more willing to draft Rodon now. Speaking of Verlander, yeah, I I think there's a lot less skepticism across the fantasy baseball world now. So I'm finding he's harder to get than he was early on. I'm glad I have a few shares of him already because remember he was one of my favorite pitchers to draft. And the same is true for Charlie Morton, by the way. I, I'm not saying I won't draft him anymore, but the values aren't as good as they once were when we did the starting pitcher preview. And let's see, anything else worth reacting to here? Kershaw, it's nice that he's already made a spring start for the Dodgers. Uh, I might need to move him back up a little bit, though I still have concerns about that elbow over the long haul. Gallon and McCullers, as far as I'm concerned, they're like $1 players, late round picks. Because it's just not feeling, not a lot of reason for optimism there, I don't think, in either case. All right, let's, Scott, Let's say our favorite starting pitcher to draft at the same time. You ready? We'll we'll do it on three. Wait, 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 wait. You've got it. You know who it is, Scott. Did I already mention him? Yes. Okay. All right. Sorry. One, two, three. Charlie, Charlie Morton. Morton. Yeah, that, that, that didn't work as well. well. But uh, anyway, Scott, uh, outside of Charlie Morton, who are some of your favorite starting pitchers to draft? All right. I love drafting Adam Eaton. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love drafting Adam <laughs> Wainwright. Scott, you've been doing that. You've been falling for the first name since last night in the salary cap draft. Look, they missed it on... (laughs) I know we're so late, but like... Did they... I I don't know what actually made it onto the podcast, but there was a whole situation where Sean Murphy of Oakland was nominated, the catcher, right? Yep. And I read it as Sean Manaya, also of Oakland, and immediately jumped the bid to $3 and won him and was like, oh, that's crazy. How did I win him for only $3? Well, because it was Sean Murphy. <laughs> and uh, I had already gotten Salvador Perez and Dalton Varsho in my catcher spots. So 
Uh, that was my DH. And, you know, I pleaded to have them back it out. I, you know, we redid all kinds of bids for all number of reasons. But Chris especially was adamant that I keep it. So I did. Fortunately, I was able to work out a trade where I sent Sean Murphy and obviously Garcia, who I didn't really want to win either, for Brendan Rogers. So I was able to wriggle out of that one. But what's crazy is about 15, 20 minutes later, my, the very last player I won was Alex Cobb, or so I thought. <laughs> I didn't realize until the reserve draft started and Alex Cobb was still out there that I had won Alex Colome instead. <laughs> so there was certainly no way to get out of that at that point. But uh, We might have to get you some glasses, Scott. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, um, obviously just a mistake in both cases. And like, I would have been thrilled to have Alex Cobb and I could have had him clearly because he didn't get nominated otherwise. Mm -hmm. So definitely not as excited about having Alex Colome. Although when you won, when you won Colome, I said, Oh, I forgot about that guy. So I kind of liked it. I know. (laughs) Well, and I thought you were talking about Alex Cobb. Um, because it was weird that he was still out there, I thought, and even weirder that he was available for the reserve rounds. But no, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, part of it is just because I am very in the like, I like controlling the end game, jumping in quickly with a two dollar, three dollar bid before anyone else can. And so, I'm just my brain is taking shortcuts that apparently trip it up, but uh. I'm not really sure how to prevent it. I mean, like, what's the amount of time I have to look at the name for it to register? You know, because R.J. White, um, uh, he, uh, our, our, our boss, he um, made the joke on Twitter that just be glad you didn't spend first round money on Vladimir Gutierrez. And I was <laughs> stared at that tweet for like 30 seconds. And I was thinking like, what, did he get hurt or something? Was there an injury I missed? Cause I, I was reading it as Vladimir Guerrero, even in that tweet. And it took me that long to, Oh no, Vladimir Gutierrez. Okay. That makes sense. Our brains are just mush at this point, Scott. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, hey. it's, it's it's a problem because you know you work like it's that's what's so frustrating about these salary cap drafts is like you develop a plan and there's like one chance to get it right all year that's your only chance it's not like you get a do-over you know if you mess it up for whatever reason you have to wait a whole year and i already messed up last year's obviously it was a really poor showing the worst i've ever had in that league so i really wanted to get it right and then to have something like that happen twice, it's just awful. Yeah. They should have let me back it out. I look, I stand by that. I probably should have been more vocal. I don't know. It, it kind of made for good content. I'm sorry, Scott. Like, you know, I know you were upset about it, but it, it was. I don't think, I don't think any, like if the Vladimir Guerrero Gutierrez mix up happened and somebody spent $40 on Vladimir Gutierrez. Like, I don't think there would be any argument about backing it out, right? That actually happened in one of my home leagues when Vlad was first being called up. When he was, he hasn't made, he did not have a single plate appearance yet. And I think he went for like nine or $10 in my home league that year. And I, I think everyone stopped bidding because they realized it was Vladimir Gutierrez. And some guy, you know, one of my buddies wound up winning him for that price. And we made him keep him. <laughs> You're like, dude, you got to read. I was sorry, bud. So that's, that is <laughs> like, why would you do that to some, like, why, <laughs> what do you get out of that? Like, you're just, 
you're just ruining somebody's year so that you could get a, a like a cheap victory over them. Well, like, Scott, it, that if, clearly if you, wasn't what they intended to do. If you click on the wrong name in your draft and you hit draft, what happens? I mean, do we do we stop the draft and say, "All right, hold on," you know, Scott clicked on the wrong name. Let's do it over. I mean, you yes. know, it it happens. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I mean, uh, if. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little bit more ruthless than you. If it takes them like two rounds to notice or something, maybe I let them swap it out for somebody who's still left and don't back out all those picks, you know? Mm -hmm. But like, I want to beat people who do what they intended to do. I don't want (laughs) to win on some cheap technicality. Like, oh, I beat you because you spent half your budget (laughs) on Vladimir Gutierrez. Look at how great I am. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't prove anything. That's fair. That's fair. All right, let's get back to this guy. Let's let's wrap up. You mentioned Adam Wainwright, not Adam Eaton, as as one of the pitchers you like to draft. Who are a few others? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Wainwright was a top ten pitcher in both formats last year and was just as good in twenty twenty. Okay, so uh, others I like to draft. I'm coming around to like the Tommy John trio of Mike Clevenger, Luis Severino, and Noah Syndergaard. Um. I like drafting Patrick Sandoval. I haven't been able to do it much. And I like the aging former ace trio of Kyle Hendricks, Zach Greinke, and Carlos Carrasco, though I'm beginning to fade Hendricks relative to the other two because he's. I feel like he's going to get so little support with the Cubs, and he's the worst strikeout pitcher of the three. And he might be the best ERA pitcher of the three, but uh, you know, he's. I think he's moved to the back of that trio for me. Uh, I used to like Tony Gonsolin a lot, but that's something that changed as the Dodgers have since added Clayton Kershaw and Tyler Anderson. So I'm not so sure they need Gonsolin in the rotation anymore. I mean, he's better than Anderson, but he, Anderson doesn't have as much relief experience as Gonsolin does. All right. Yeah, I like getting one of the second round pitchers if I can. Max Scherzer, Brandon Woodruff, if I miss out. Sandy. Sandy Alcantara. Love to get him in the third or fourth round. Load up on the mid-tier, Freddie Peralta, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, Joe Musgrove, Verlander. Those are all pitchers I like to target. And then there are just so many fun late-round options. Patrick Sandoval, someone you mentioned, Scott. Carlos Carrasco, another one. Jesus Lazardo, Tristan McKenzie. The Giants guys, Alex Cobb, Anthony Desclafani. Uh, Alex Wood, I like as well. Veterans, Kyle Hendricks and Zach Greinke. Uh I like it. There's there's a lot in the mid to late rounds at starting pitcher this upcoming season. Relief pitcher, I quickly run through it, and then Scott, you give me a few of your favorites to draft. Kenley Jansen signed with the Braves. Will Smith, unfortunately, he got sent to the Night's Watch. As a result, Blake Trinan is the leader of a, quote, bullpen by committee, according to Dodgers manager Dave Roberts. Jordan Romano appears to be safe for the Blue Jays. Craig Kimbrell has not been traded yet. What's happening there? Alex Cora has talked up Matt Barnes. Dave Martinez has talked up Tanner Rainey for the Washington Nationals. Lucas Sims won't be ready to start the season because of back and elbow issues. Ian Kennedy signed with the D-backs. He will not be a closer. And we have no idea who the Padres' closer is. Scott, who are some of your favorites to draft? I should, I should mention that the Padres beat writers seem to be talking up the idea of Robert Suarez. Not Ranger Suarez, but Robert Suarez, okay. who was a closer in Japan last year, signed a two-year deal. Uh, they, they seem to think he's the favorite, but it may, it may start out as a committee. Um, a favorite closer is to draft anyone I don't have to pay for. <laughs> of the earliest closer I'd be inclined to draft... Uh, this is not literally true. I think I've taken Jordan Romano and Roldis Chapman and Kenley Jansen before because they just happened to fall. But more likely, the first closer I draft is going to be somebody like Camilo Duvall or Corey Knebel 
maybe even Scott Barlow, somebody who I'm pretty confident is the closer, but we're not going to get complete assurance before opening day. So they tend to last much later in the draft. And I'd like to load up on those guys, get three or maybe even four of them. Uh, Dylan Floro is in that group. Ken Giles. Uh, you know, it sounds like Seattle's definitely going to start out as a committee, but I, I think Ken Giles has a chance to short up pretty early in spite of what they're saying. Started to come around to Andrew Kittredge more since the Rays didn't really add anybody. Uh, not that excited about Alex Colome, <laughs> despite <laughs> me spending $2 on him. But he's, you know, probably going to be the closer. Chris Stratton for the Pirates is a really bottom-of-the-barrel option. I'd, I'd rather have Robert Suarez, frankly, than both of those guys. All right. I really like getting one of those top nine options if I can. Ryan Presley, I think he's undervalued. He plays for one of the best teams in baseball with the Houston Astros. I like Jordan Romano. I've been coming around more on that as well. Uh, Taylor Rogers is my favorite second-closer candidate to target. He had 30 saves back in 2019 with Rocco Baldelli as his manager. Still the same setup this upcoming season. And then... Real late round sleeper, Ken Giles, someone I've been winding up with quite a bit as my third closer in drafts. I get it, Mariners bullpen, it's kind of messy right now, but he has closer experience. They signed him a couple of years ago knowing you know, he'd, he'd be coming back from the injury this year, and I think they're going to give him a shot. So I'll do the same thing with Ken Giles. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.